What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for checking out the SCFYA podcast. SCFYA is the College and Young Adult Ministry of South Tampa Fellowship Church in Tampa, Florida. We meet every Monday night for the city, our weekly worship gathering. We are a family that's committed to following Jesus together in our city, and we would love for you to join us. For more information about how you can get involved, check us out on Instagram at STF underscore YA. Thanks for listening. So as we kind of get going tonight, I've got a question that I want to ask and just want you to, to think about, and it's just simply this. What do you want most in life? What do you want most in life? Right, maybe you want to get married. Um, Maybe you want to have kids. Maybe you want to just be done with school. Um, Maybe you want to stop working part-time and finally go full-time. Maybe you want a better full-time job. Maybe you want to buy a house. Um, Maybe you want to make more money. I I don't don't know what it is. I I think for a lot of us, all of us, we have things we want in life. What's what's interesting to me is that out of all the things that we want in life, life, ultimately, we all want something that Jesus actually promised us. We, we all want a specific kind of life that actually Jesus told us that he wants to give us. And, and he promises us this thing in John chapter 10, verse 10. It'll be on the screens. It, it just simply says this. Jesus says that I've come so that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance. Life and life and abundance. Maybe your, your Bible, your translation says life and life to the fullest. That word abundance in the original language, it actually literally means beyond what you could actually imagine or fathom. So whatever that thing is you want most in life, chances are you want that thing because you think that thing is going to be the thing that gives you an abundant life, a fulfilled life, a satisfied life, a life that's better than what you could have ever imagined. And again, what's interesting to me is that that's actually the life that Jesus promises. But if we're honest, I I don't think that abundant life is what many of us think about when Christianity comes to our minds. Right? Like if if we're in the room tonight and we're and we're maybe we're not a Christian or we're maybe we 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 were at one point, but we wouldn't identify that way anymore. When when we think of Christianity, we don't think of like abundant life. Maybe what we think of is like a restricted life, right? Christianity doesn't let me do all the things that I really want to do deep down. Or, or, or maybe instead of an abundant life, we see an ignorant life in Christianity, right? Like Christianity is anti-intellectual. It doesn't answer the hard questions in life. It's a bunch of people who put their heads in the sand and, and don't actually think about what they're believing, or, or, or maybe when you hear Christianity, you don't think abundant life. Maybe you think like oppressive life or unjust life, right? Like the church, Christians have been responsible for so many bad things in this world. Abundant life is not what you think about. And I would say that for all of those critiques, like there's a level of fairness to those critiques. I mean, I think that on some level, Christianity has presented itself as those things in different moments in time. But what gets really tricky is when Christians don't think of abundant life when they think of Christianity. People who do call themselves Christians, who, who do say that they identify with Jesus, when, when they think of their relationship with God, when they think of their faith, they don't really think abundant life because that's just not what they are experiencing. 
abundance, satisfaction. Now, my life is more characterized by anxiety, by feeling inadequate, by thinking that I need to always do more. Abundance, that's not what I think about. So, so we enter into this tricky place where um, we really can't blame the world for not being enamored with Christianity when many of us as Christians don't find ourselves enamored with Christianity. And so yet we go back to what Jesus promises. I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, life abundantly. So, so two things are either true there. Either he lied and you can't do that, or there's something we're missing when it comes to Jesus that's keeping us from the abundant life. I'll give you a spoiler alert. I don't think it's the first one. In fact, here's what I believe wholeheartedly. I believe that the life that every single person in this world wants is actually capable and found in Jesus. Because he offers abundant life. But we will only experience that if we change the way I think many of us think about Jesus. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is going to kind of be the big idea tonight as we move forward and really kind of the big idea for this whole series that we're going to be in. It's that we will miss the abundant life found in following Jesus if we ignore the lifestyle of the follower of Jesus. We will miss the abundant life found in following Jesus if we ignore the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, many times in church, we focus on Jesus being the way to God. Right? Maybe you've heard a lot of sermons where people have described that and, and said, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God in some way, shape, or form that's been said to you. And that's 100% true. We, we often focus on the truth of Jesus, right? Like what, what he says about the world and what he says is right and what he says is wrong, his design. We, we focus a lot on that, but he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And what's interesting is that many times we forget that Jesus actually lived a life here on earth that demonstrated to us what abundant life actually looks like. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. The practices that make up what it means to follow Jesus. The habits, the rhythms, the actions, however you want to put it. We're going to focus on that because here's what we believe at a core level. Jesus does want to give you and I abundant life, but it can only be found when we do life his way. can only be found when we model our lifestyle after the life of those who would follow him. So tonight, I want to just, on a very like general level, describe to you what I mean when I say this lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. What do I mean when I say that? What do I mean when I say this idea, a lifestyle? Like, what does that mean? Well, I think we see a glimpse into what it looks like in that passage that was read earlier by Sophia in Matthew chapter 4. You see, I, I want to set the stage for us just a minute. Um, there, there's these two individuals, and they're fishing. And fishing is all that they know. In fact, it's all that they've ever known. It's all that they've ever done. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and in verse 19, it's, he comes to them, and he says, follow me. 
It says they immediately left their nets and they went after him. Now, for us to understand the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus, we have to kind of take ourselves away from our moment of time and step back into the moment where Jesus called his first followers. You know, if you, if, if you, if you think about it, I think that for, for many of us, um, if asked the question, like, who is Jesus? We'd have a lot of answers, right? He's God in the flesh, right? He's the Savior of the world. But if you would have gone back 2,000 years ago and, 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 and started traveling around ancient Judea where Jesus was, was traveling and, and, and teaching, and you would have asked somebody else, who is Jesus, they would have had one word for you. It's very simple who Jesus is. Jesus is a rabbi a teacher in Jewish culture. Now, what's interesting in Jewish culture um, is that every single individual, every, every, single, every single person um, from a very, very young age um, recognized and understood the importance of these rabbis, these teachers, because ultimately uh, what the Jewish people had was they had their Bible, right? The Old Testament, right? Um, Genesis through Malachi. And these rabbis, these teachers, were essentially individuals who helped to interpret what the Bible meant. And, and there were some rabbis who were just crazy, right? And there were some rabbis who were incredibly intellectual and very, very smart. And one of the things that they uh, began to model, uh, that they kind of stole from, um, from Greek philosophers like Plato and Socrates, um, is this pattern of discipleship relationships. See, we think discipleship is like a church thing and a, and a church word, but ultimately it's actually, it's actually not. You see, let me t- show you a little bit how a Jewish culture works. Um, if you grew up in a Jewish household, um, if, you were, if you were a, um, a boy, um, you would go, starting at the age of five, to Torah school. And what that means is you would go to a school where you would learn the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, after learning those, and by the way, when I say learn, I don't just mean like you take a lesson on it. Like, I mean you memorize it. Like, memorize it. At the end of that little portion of time, uh, you would find yourself uh, kind of beginning an entrance exam, if you will, right around when you get into like middle school time. And, and essentially, you would be kind of put in front of um, some uh, like very influential people in your synagogue, your uh, kind of place of worship, and they would begin to quiz you and test you. And if they thought that you were worthy and they thought that you were ready, uh, you would progress on to the next level of education and schooling. If they didn't, they would say, all right, well, sorry, but I guess you got to go back and be a fisherman with your parents. If you progress beyond this second tier, this second level, you would move on to a third level. These were the elites of the elites. These were like the Ivy League of their uh, culture. And if you finish that, the next step for you, really the only other step you could take, is that you could enter into a relationship with a rabbi. You could find yourself following after a rabbi and their culture. But here's what would happen. If you wanted to follow after a rabbi, what you would have to do is you'd have to seek out a rabbi. You'd have to 
find a moment where you could actually be interviewed by that rabbi, and then you would have to demonstrate to them how knowledgeable you were, and not just knowledgeable about the Old Testament. Like, you memorize the whole thing. That's awesome. Other people have done that. Give us your interpretation on this passage, and, 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 and what did Rabbi Hallel think of the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6? And, and what did this rabbi think about um, the symbolism found in, in Exodus chapter 3? Like, over and over and over again, question, question, question. And if you pass the test, then you got invited to follow a rabbi. So what happens in Matthew chapter 4 is normal, but it's also very, very strange. Here's why. Look at it again. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, the he there is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Pause right there. Okay, let's go back to our history lesson from a minute ago. If you didn't pass the first level, what happened to you? You went back and you did some kind of trade. You fished. You made sandals, right? Like you became a blacksmith or a baker or whatever in the world that you could do. So if these guys were out fishing, what does that tell you about them? They didn't make it past the first cut. They, they maybe weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They're out there and they're fishing. And then here comes Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher. And what happens? Verse 19. He approaches them and he says this, follow me. Again, I want us to notice the gravity of what's happening here. In this culture, you only had the opportunity to follow a rabbi if you impressed them, if you performed for them, and if you showed them that in some way you could benefit their ministry and their livelihood by being one of their disciples. And yet right here, Jesus approaches two uneducated, possibly illiterate men who all they know how to do is fish. And he walks up to them and says, follow me. Do you want us to interview? No, follow me. Do you want me to like show you like what I can do? No, follow me. You need me to like give you a speech so you can see if I'm a good public? No, just follow me. Follow me. I think in, in our kind of Western American culture, oftentimes um, we, reduce, we reduce Jesus into this like, this Savior who just like really wants us to ask him into our hearts. Like just ask him to be your Savior. Just like, like, ask him to come in there and enter into your life. But I, I, I want you guys to see, like, the gravity of this. That, that's not who just told them to follow him. Jesus just approached them and said, follow me. Who's, who, who is Jesus? He's a rabbi. Yeah. But he's so much more than that. Revelation 22 says that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. 2 Corinthians 1 says he's the first and the last. He's the final amen. John 6 says he's the bread of life. Colossians chapter 1 says he's our creator, our deliverer, our sustainer, that he is God. 
He is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the great high priest. He's the holy one. He's the Messiah. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the judge of both the living and the dead. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And nobody compares to him. He's the only begotten son of God. He's full of grace and truth. He is the power of God in the flesh. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the supreme sacrifice. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the very word of God made flesh. He's the savior of the world. He's the wisdom of God displayed for us. He's our friend. He's our righteousness, our redemption, and our sanctification. He is the Lord of all creation. That's who approaches these men on a beach and says, follow me. But they had nothing to offer him. Why, why do you want them? Exactly. And we have to understand this before we talk about anything when it comes to doing things for God. But when we think about actions like reading scripture and praying and fasting and all these things that we can think about that we're doing things for God that possibly even make ourselves feel better about our relationship with God, know this. Even the greatest things you would ever do for God, the Bible says, are like filthy rags in front of him. We have nothing to offer God. But guys, that's really, really good news. Because if you have nothing to offer God and yet he still chose you, it demonstrates that your relationship with him will never be based upon you and what you've done, but always upon him and what he's done for you. Follow me, he says. It's an invitation, not into religion. It's an invitation, not into just a, a certain number of religious actions and duties. It's an invitation. And what is an invitation to? It's an invitation into a relationship as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. So what I want to do as we just kind of close tonight is I want us to see just the basic characteristics of this lifestyle from what happens in this interaction with Peter and with John. What does it actually mean, this lifestyle of Jesus that we can't ignore because if we ignore it, we're going to miss the abundant life that he has to offer? First thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this. The lifestyle of Jesus, what does it come down to? Three things. First, it, it, it comes down to being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. Uh, remember what Jesus says when he first approaches them. He says, follow me. Be with me. You see, in this day and time, like, that wasn't, like, a figurative thing to say. Like, that was a literal thing to say. Follow me. Like, when you follow somebody, you're behind them. You're with them. You're literally doing everything alongside of them. Follow me. It, the lifestyle of Jesus, it first and foremost, begins by being with Jesus. And these things that you're going to see, th these are nothing revolutionary. I stole these from a, uh, one pastor who sold them from another pastor. Like, these are not rocket science. But the things that we need to understand is that, like, the, the, the truth packed into these actions and this lifestyle is the conduit by which you and I can actually have and experience abundant life. Being with Jesus. Not just Jesus being another thing that you have in your life. Jesus being the thing in your life. 
Being with Jesus, the way that you would be with a spouse or with a close friend, being with Jesus. Why would we uh, spend entire nights talking about how to read scripture and, 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 and prayer and fasting? Why would we do those things? Because everything we would ever do for God is ultimately just an attempt to position ourselves to be with God. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about being uh, people who are deeper in our relationship with the Lord. It, it starts with us positioning ourselves, being with him. You know the sound of his voice. You know how he leads you. You know how he guides you. You know how he comforts you. And see, this, this runs against, I think, a lot of us if we just have a theology that says, I'm a Christian so I don't go to hell when I die. Listen, if that's why you responded to the gospel because you didn't want to go to hell one day, like you didn't respond to a relationship with a Savior. You responded to like an insurance policy. No, 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 no. The, the invitation is to be with him here and now so that you can be with him forever. How could he ever offer you abundant life today? Because what you get today, the gift of the gospel, is him. It's Jesus. Being with him. He says, follow me. But it's not just being with Jesus. It's also becoming like Jesus. You see, for, for, for us, it's, 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 it's great to be with somebody. It's great to be with Jesus. But if that being with doesn't result in you becoming, ultimately you have to ask yourself, are you actually with him? Because you and I both know, the longer we're in close proximity to somebody, the more we begin to become like that person, right, wrong, or indifferent. Right, like when, I, when my, my, my in-laws and stuff, they live in North Georgia, when I spend extended time in North Georgia, I come back and I have a little bit of a twang in my voice. Like, not because I want to sound like that, good Lord, but because I'm with them, I'm around them, it just naturally bleeds off onto me. Listen, if we only ever view these practices and these habits we add to our life as things that we just do for God and not things that position us to be with God, we'll never actually allow the Lord to use us in the middle of those habits and those moments. The Pharisees, Jesus' greatest enemies, if you will, when he was doing ministry on this earth, were the most religiously educated and theologically proficient people he interacted with. They knew everything. They had a chapter and verse for every single aspect of their life. Our relationship with the Lord is not simply an intellectual pursuit. Intellect is definitely part of it. But if the intellect never hits the heart and then out towards the hands, ultimately it's useless. We are with Jesus. We position ourselves with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. So that our character begins to look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. When Paul writes those words that are commonly referred to as the fruits of the Spirit, he gives a command, and it's not be joyful. It's not uh, be faithful. Uh, it's not be self-control. His one command there is walk in the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, you will have the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. 
The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' indwelling presence. You want to know what that tells us? When you're with Jesus, it produces you to become like Jesus. You see, too often, I think, uh, in, in, in our environments, in churches, if we're just honest, like, we can become so fixated and focused on what we know and our knowledge being right that we might know the right thing, but we might live the wrong way. And we might think the right way. We might have the right set of orthodox beliefs if we check them on a piece of paper, but our character looks nothing like Jesus. We can give an entire theology of, of, of the characteristics of God and that he's loving and whatnot, but we don't know how to love people we disagree with. We can sit and we can talk about the justice of God and, and, and how the justice of God it demands that there's punishment for sin, but we have no burden to tell people we know about Christ. We're with him to become like him. And as we become like him, as our character is shaped, we do the last thing, which is part of the lifestyle of Jesus. We do what Jesus did. Notice what Jesus said to them. He said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, uh, I think we have to understand that fisher of men was actually a, a, a Jewish idiom in this time period that was the equivalent of finding people and teaching them new things. That's like the idea behind it. It's exactly what Jesus just did to them. He now invites them to do as well. He wants them to be with him. Follow me. He, he wants them to become like him in that process, ultimately so that they can become fisher of men, so that they can be people who do what Jesus has done for them. If I could be honest, that's the hardest thing in the middle of all of this to actually, like, create a lifestyle around. Because I think that for many of us, we can think, okay, being with Jesus, okay, I can find ways to set aside space and time for me to be with God. I'll listen to a podcast. I'll read my Bible, like whatever. Become like Jesus. Okay, that's more of like an internal thing. Like I can, I can process and think about areas of my life that need to change. But doing what Jesus did, that's where the rubber meets the road. But I'm telling you, that's where the abundant life is found. Jesus didn't have an easy life, but he had an abundant life. He did hard things. He confronted evil and injustice and sin. He loved people when they were really hard to love. He challenged people when their beliefs were off. He sought people out who had been rejected by everybody else. He handled conflict and he addressed things before they became a bigger issue. He dealt with friends who didn't like one another and disagree with one another and helped work them through those issues. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. And yet the life he lived was still abundant. We are with Jesus to become like Jesus so that at the end of the day, ultimately, we can do what Jesus did. And listen, like if we are not a people who do what Jesus did, then this is all useless. We don't need to gather in a room once a week to get a pep talk just to walk out and not do what Jesus did. Your time's too valuable for that, and so is mine. No, we want to be a people who, when people look at us, they might not agree with everything we believe. They, they, they might not even understand 
what we believe. But what they cannot doubt, what they cannot minimize, what they cannot ignore is that we're doing things in this world that are different than the other people in this world around us. Because we're doing what Jesus did. We're with him to become like him, to do what he did. Why? Because in being with him and becoming like him and doing what he did, we actually get to experience the life that we were created to experience, the life that is to the fullest. And ironically, guys, we assume that life abundantly and life to the fullest has to be a life that's centered around me and fixated on what I ultimately want. But as we're with Jesus and as we become like him and as we do what he did, we realize that the abundant life is actually found outside of ourselves, not within ourselves. It's found in thinking selflessly and not selfishly about my time on this earth. That's what this series is about. Positioning ourselves with habits, with practices, with things in our life that ultimately put us in a place that we're with Jesus to become like him, to do what he did. So we're going to end tonight the way that we do every other week, um, and that's with two minutes of silence. Something that we practice here, it's just a way, as we even just said in this message, to position our hearts to reflect on what we've just heard. And it's just that. It's two minutes of silence. So there'll be no music, no nothing. It's just you and the Lord. And yes, we know that it takes more than two minutes to work through some stuff at times, but we believe that creating space in this room is ultimately the best first step for God to continue to do work outside of this room. And and here's the question that I want us to consider as we leave, as we consider this time in two minutes. Am I ignoring the lifestyle of Jesus? Am I ignoring being with him? Am I ignoring ways that I could become like him? Am I ignoring doing what he did? Am I ignoring it? And and how could that, how might I be doing that? So Jesus, we just ask that in this moment you would speak to us clearly. That, Father, you would, um, you just would show us maybe the areas where we're ignoring what it means to follow you. Jesus, you did not have to choose us, but you did. You did not have to invite us to follow you, but you did. And, and you're the God of the universe who needs absolutely nothing from us, and yet you choose us, and there's good news in that. So Father, help us now just to process in this moment ways in which our life and lifestyle does not look like you. So that ultimately we can begin to experience the abundant life that you would have for us. Speak to us now, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.